we are going to be talking today about the top nine challenges that I see for mid-size government contractors. This is really focused in on when you are making that leap from small to mid-size. That's where the focus of today's episode is really going to be. What I see a lot of times is people start off and they have a really good strategy, whether it takes them three years, five years, 10 years to get to that mid-size level. Once they get there, there's often a plateau. There's a stall in the business. It's due usually to a lot of different factors. And I'll tell you, all of these nine today sort of weave in and out together in different ways, but they all hit a little bit differently. Let's jump in and talk about what may be one of the most obvious ones is when you're sizing out of your NAICS code, whether it's revenue, whether it is staff, whatever it is, when you're sizing out and you lose access to the small business programs, you lose access to those advocates at the small business office, you lose access to those opportunities because you can no longer compete with those. Oftentimes that throws companies for a loop. They're like, Hey, this is how we've operated for the last five, 10, 20, 30 years. And now all of a sudden there's a massive culture shift that has to happen across the board. And it has to happen with every single area of the business and how everyone operates. Not a lot of people are prepared for that culture shift that has to happen when you start to size out. And now you're competing full and open on everything. It's a different culture. It's just one of those things to think about. We're getting close to sizing out or we just sized out and we can't figure out, we can't put our finger on what the issue is. Is, it may be because you're still trying to operate like you're a small business. The next one is recruiting and retaining talent. This is one of the things that I see people struggle with at every level, whether you're small, medium, or large, you struggle with this. But the challenge is when you're medium size or mid size, you struggle at scale. So it's no longer that you are struggling to find one or two people to put on a contract. You're struggling to find 20 or 30 or 50 or whatever it may be. So the scale of the struggle is much larger. This is one of the reasons why I highly recommend when you are building your business, regardless of what stage you are, you're keeping a really tight database on the people that apply for jobs in your company. I actually did a whole episode a while back. It's so important if you keep a really good database and you check in with those people every now and then, whether they have worked for you or not, you will be able to staff things much faster than your competition. And that's the name of the game a lot of times. If you can't staff a position, you either have to go to the government and say, hey, we can't find someone, or you have to find a teaming partner or some other third party and bring them in and your costs either go up or your profit goes down. One or both of those things happen, right? If you can keep a really good database, the recruiting piece will be a lot easier because again, it's no longer onesie twosies. You're looking at tens of employees sometimes in that situation, it's much harder. And a lot of times you're looking for people across all different skill levels. So, you know, you may be looking for some junior engineers, some senior engineers, some project managers, senior project managers. It creates a lot of complexity when you do that. So keep a really good database. That'll be easier. 
easier. The other thing is, as you're switching from small to large, when it comes to even hiring that talent, you've got to look at not only the company culture, but the benefits, the pay structure, the opportunities to advance, all those kind of things. Those all have to be really good, really strong reasons why I should join your company or else I'm just not going to because maybe if I join a small company, there's more flexibility because your company now at the size you're in, you're requiring different things. We'll get to politics and stuff later, but making sure that the benefits, the pay, the culture are all top notch are really important because now there's tons of websites, you know, people use them for restaurants like the Yelp side. There's stuff like that on the business side. I won't mention any of them today because there's so many different things out there where people can go and actually rate your company. I will mention the the one, I think Glassdoor is probably one of the most popular ones and there's not a ton of information in there. But as you start to look at some of the other ones that are out there, and I guarantee you more of these are going to pop up, people are going to rate your company like they rate a restaurant at Yelp. Word's going to get out. And even if none of that goes public, people can go check in on LinkedIn and look and say, oh, well, Steve used to have that. Let me reach out to, I know Steve, let me reach out to him. Or they can look at people who have your company in their LinkedIn profile and reach out and say, hey, I see you're no longer with XYZ company and you were only there a year. Can I pick your brain a little bit? What's the culture like and that sort of stuff. Making sure that stuff is really on point is a very big deal because recruiting and retaining talent gets harder as you get bigger if you don't put those pieces in place. Did you know we have our own government contracting community? It's called Federal Access. And inside Federal Access, you have all the tools, tips, strategies, documents, templates, everything you're ever going to need to be a government contractor. But you also get brought into our ecosystem. You get into our private LinkedIn group and you get into our live events and all that kind of thing when you become a member of Federal Access. To learn more, go to federal-access.com forward slash game changers. Now let's get back into this episode. The next thing is scaling the revenue level. You have to have a shift in your market strategy because as I alluded to earlier, if you're still focused on all of the small business stuff that you used to do, those things likely don't work anymore. And so there's a change in how you actually approach the market. There's often a need for change in your infrastructure, your processes, procedures, those sort of things, because as you grow, you need to replicate things not have everybody run in their own little division somewhere that's completely disconnected. There's a need for cohesity of the brand and making sure that is a thing, right? When you are growing a company and you hit that midsize, you often have to change the strategy in order to jump that next revenue level. Even works when you're thinking about, hey, we used to be focused on these $5 million milestones. We went from one to five, five to 10, 10 to 15, 15 to 20, but maybe you're at 50 million dollars and now you need to start working on 10 million and 15 million dollar milestones in the size of projects you put into your pipeline. I was talking with a client the other day and I said, you know, if you're approaching me and I'm a $50 million company and you're approaching me as a teaming partner and all you have is 250 to $300,000 opportunities, maybe it's a million dollar opportunity. I'm not that interested in that because it takes way too many of them to hit my revenue targets. I'm chasing opportunities that are in the tens of millions of dollars and you need to bring me stuff like that. That's what I'm interested in. And so as we get to a certain revenue milestone, 
whether it's 30 or 50 million, whatever it may be, you've got to start thinking in bigger terms, bigger chunks. Even when you're say a hundred, hundred and fifty million dollars, you got to start thinking in bigger chunks. You know, you're looking for 25 and 30 million dollar contracts and 50 million dollar contracts. And when you get to a billion dollars, you start thinking in hundreds of millions of dollars. So as you grow that thought process, that size, the scope, all of those things need to evolve so that you can grow at the same pace you were trying to grow before. Otherwise, you may still be adding equivalent revenue as you were in the past, but your growth goes from 30% to say 12% because you're not increasing the scale that you need to grow. And so scaling that next revenue level could be a challenge. The next one on my list here, number four, is your teaming strategy. One of the things that I found with companies, it's really odd to me that there's no specific threshold for this. I've seen it all over the place. At some point, people think that teaming is a bad word. It's like this naughty thing that you shouldn't do anymore. I've seen this occur in companies that are $1 million. I've seen it happen in companies that are $4 billion. At the end of the day, regardless of where you are on that spectrum, but especially when you're crossing over from the small to the midsize in your NAICS code, it's easy to think, well, we're a prime now. We're a prime contractor. We don't need to sub. Look, you may not need to sub, but having subbing in your strategy is still valuable, even if you're only subbing 20% of the time. Maybe some of the work you're doing is where you're going to a small and saying, hey, we have past performance in this agency. And I know this is just a five or a $10 million contract but we've got a ton of past performance. We would make you super competitive on this. It'll be a slam dunk once they see this proposal. And oh, by the way, we've got proposal writers on staff. We could take some of this off your load. And look, you prime it because you're the 8A and it's an 8A opportunity. We'll sub to you guys and we'll knock it out of the park. And that might be an easy win there. So there could be some really low hanging fruit that you're completely completely missing out on because you think subbing is below your company. Whereas it could be an opportunity to not only team and get some additional past performance, but to dig in with a company like that, that you may eventually decide to do a mentor protege with. And this is just the first dance or two that you do in order to test out that relationship. That could be what you wind up doing in that situation. It could be a situation where you kind of are going down that same path and you're teaming a little bit and then you decide to acquire that company. You just like the work they're doing. You like the other clients they have. So there's a lot of value in having a teaming strategy. And guess what? Let's say you're a 50 million or a hundred million dollar company. You're still a small fish in the open market. There are companies that are multi-billion dollar companies that you could still be teaming with and provide a ton of value to, whether it's a General Dynamics, a Lockheed Martin, an SAIC, whoever it is, you could bring not only past performance, you could bring a skill set to the game that they really need in an area of that business where maybe it's a $2 billion contract and there's 
$50 million worth of work you could do on that. I mean, think about that. Having a teaming strategy after you hit this level to me is essential. And it needs to have two parts. The part one, where you're focused on teaming with the small companies. And part two is teaming with companies that are bigger than you. There's a third part where you're teaming with companies that are similar in size. That's to me, the third most important when I'm looking at that. The next one is compliance. So this is number five. When you are growing, and you hit that mid-level, HR and business systems in general are things that just bog people down. Whether it is the company's moving from QuickBooks to some other accounting system, whether it's putting in an ERP system, whatever it is that you're doing, as you are growing and you hit that mid-level, there's a need to get some really serious systems in place because in Again, in order to scale, in order to go from 50 million to a billion dollars, there's a lot of things you need in place infrastructure wise that if they're not there as you go to scale, you're going to struggle with. As you are implementing things in HR, like your timekeeping, making sure that you know, you're recording information properly for your SCA contracts. I mean, there's so many little compliance things, even when you hit a, an employee milestone and now you have to go from insurance being optional to insurance being mandatory. When you hit other employee milestones and there's other compliance issues that are involved, those are all things that can trip you up at this level and smack you back down because maybe you're getting audited and you're not fit for a contract or you're getting audited and you're getting fined for not having certain things in place, whatever it may be. So compliance is one of those areas that you need to look after when you finally hit that mid-size area. The next one is financial management. When I think about financial management, it's not just cash flow. It's how you're using those resources and what you're using them for, you know, whether it's tools, systems, things that just make your team smarter, faster, whatever it is. It could be assistance. It could be project managers. There's all kinds of areas in the business where you need to spend money. Once you're a mid-sized company, it's no longer hundreds of dollars or thousands of dollars. It's always not only millions, probably tens of millions that are going out the door or exchanging between you and a customer and your employees, and then maybe shareholders and things like that. A massive amount of money that is exchanging hands, and you have to have a tight grip on it and a tight understanding of it. If you don't have a CFO in place at this point, this is probably where you're going to put that CFO in there. Somebody who's just there managing that money and advising you on what's going on. Because at the mid-level, again, it's no longer hundreds or thousands of dollars. It is multi-millions, if not tens of millions of dollars. The next one here is one that I think it has the ability to bite you at any level, but I definitely see it at the mid-level a lot. And it is what I call a lack of focus. Number seven here, this lack of focus really bites a lot of people because you've gone from having, say, one specialty, one product, one service, to now you have multiple divisions of the company. And in each one of those divisions of the company, they do something different. Maybe there's a product and then there's a service and then there's a different service component. When I look at like technology companies, for example, I'll look at them and they're like, hey, these are our ERP guys. These are our cybersecurity guys. Here are our custom web developer guys. You know, you have all these different groups and teams within the business. And now, well, which one do we focus on? 
which one is the one that's really making us the money? And a lot of times when I sit down and talk to companies that are in the 50, 100, 150 million range, I'll start digging in and find out that there's one area of the business that really is getting them that 75, 80%, that Pareto principle, the 80, 20 rule, whatever you want to call it. There's that one area that's doing 80% of the business, yet they are focusing 80% of their energy on the other 20% because they can't figure out how to grow it. Maybe you've got this $80 million division that's just humming along and doing whatever, and you've got this $20 million division and you're like, how do we make this thing grow? Maybe you start focusing on the $80 million division instead of the 20. It's almost like a new company. You know, people don't realize that when you start off and let's say you're a product company and let's say you make tennis shoes, for example, I'm trying to keep this really, really simple. You make tennis shoes and now all of a sudden you're trying to sell shirts. It's almost like starting a brand new company. Even if both the shoes and the shirts have your brand on them, you've got to now convince people why they should buy your shirts. You know, you're probably listening to this thinking, well, Nike, right? Well, Nike probably still sells more shoes than they sell anything else. They just layer on socks and shirts and pants and shorts. And for all I know, they sell underwear and hats and glasses. Who all knows, right? But how much of their total revenue is that stuff? versus shoes. There's a case to be made of, hey, what if we just focused more on shoes? What could the company do? Yeah, there's all these other little revenue streams, but they take away the time and energy. As a mid-sized company, you don't necessarily have the bandwidth to focus on all of those other things. Because as I said, there's stuff pulling at you like sizing out of your nakes, like your recruiting and training, like the teaming strategy and compliance. There's all these things pulling at you. So if you have all of those in place, then it's easier to say, hey, I'm going to hire a new VP and she's going to focus on selling shirts. That's going to be her focus. I'm going to give her a dedicated team that understands the shirt business and they've been in the market for a while and it's going to be easier for us to grow. But you can't do that if you are not taking care of all these other things. So that's where a lack of focus can be a real challenge for companies that are trying to grow too quickly and they're trying to do it with too many diverse sets of services, products all that kind of stuff. Anyway, that's one of my big pet peeves when I come in and I see somebody has a lack of focus. It's like, all right, we got to figure this out and make it simple. Everybody on your team is chasing a different rabbit and they're not catching enough. Let's fix this. Another thing here, and this is number eight and number nine, they kind of tie in together a little bit. I start to see a much slower decision cycle. There's all this red tape. There's multi-levels of management and things like that. When you were smaller, you were making decisions just really, really quickly. Things were, were fairly fast. You know, it only had to go between you and your supervisor, or let's say you're the CEO, the CEO to program manager, whatever it was, things moved faster. When you get a little bit bigger and you slow down that decision cycle, you start to bring the business to a halt. Everything in the business is like an act of God, right? Now that I've been in government as long as I have, you know, the term act of Congress does make a lot of sense because it moves so slow, right? There's this mountain that has to move for some of the smallest decisions like, hey, why are we using two different colored logos in the company? Let's just fix that and be done with it. And people are like, okay, well, it's going to take us a year to fix this problem. Hey, why don't we have the flexibility in sales to make multiple capabilities? 
statements? Well, because it's locked down in a PDF and we don't give our salespeople the bandwidth to do that and blah, blah, blah. You know, there's all these reasons, right? And so you find that, hey, I really need this because it would make me more competitive, but I've got to run this up the food chain. It might take three, six months before I get an answer back. That is no way to run a business. You've got to have faster decision cycles on stuff, which brings me to the other connected one. And my last point, number nine, is politics. I see all the time where the politics level is just, it's insane. It's like they say, you know, you got to bring in your best pair of rubber boots because the BS is so deep, right? There's all these little things where it's like, well, you know, I can't say this in a meeting because that'll hurt this person's feeling, or I can't do this because that would step on this person's toes or whatever. And now instead of trying to run and grow a business, we're so focused on the political side of, well, if I do this, is this going to halt my career or, you know, springboard me to the next level? What's going to happen, right? You're always looking over your shoulder. I saw an example of this the other day that I haven't seen a whole lot of, but is definitely something that annoys me where a CEO and owner of the business was wanting to make a decision on something. And at the end of the day, he said, I'm going to leave it to my COO and my CFO to make this decision because at the end of the day, they're going to have to live with it. And I understood the premise of I want their input. But at the end of the day, it's like the CFO and the CEO were like, I don't want to do it because he's suggesting it. And I really, I don't even want to listen to the idea because our CEO has so many wild ideas. I just don't care. Well, what if it's the best decision ever, right? You have these politics where the CEO is trying to be nice and do all this. And I just say at the end of the day, like to that guy, I'm like, look, you're the CEO. This is a direction you want to take the company. Stand up, tell them they're going to listen. They can have some feedback, but they've got to come up with a compelling reason why you're not going to move forward because this needs to move forward. Politics can definitely bog down the whole thing. These are just a bunch of different little things that I think it's very important to be aware. If you are getting close to making that next jump and you're sizing out of your nakes, or if you're already in that midsize and you're kind of wondering why, you're floundering. It could be anyone or a combination of these nine things that we talked about today. Go back through those, see which ones are the ones that you're challenged with. Reach out to us if you have other ones. I'd love to hear your feedback on that. Share that with the community we have. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this topic today and we'll see you next time. I really hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If you did, I would really appreciate it if you would like and subscribe to the podcast and screenshot it and tag me on LinkedIn or whatever social media you use. So thank you again for joining us today and we'll see you next time.